And I remember telling him, saying, wow, that's incredibly generous and you don't have to do that. And, and he told me something that stuck with me forever about integrity. He said, money will buy you a good bed, but it won't buy you a good night's sleep. Welcome to the SI Genesis podcast with your host, Joe Vollard. It's the podcast of San Ignatius College Preparatory in San Francisco. One of the blessings of my job is getting a chance to meet uh, alums and some and some great leaders. And today, our interview is with Bert Selva, class of 1980. Bert is the president and CEO of Shea Homes. And his story, his family story, is a great American story, and it's a great story of a St. Ignatius family. Bert will speak about his SI experiences. He speaks to leadership and the work that he's doing in the community. Enjoy. Your SI experience, what was that like for you? And were any particular highlights that have really stuck with you over the years? If I had to just summarize it in one word, I'd say great. Uh, big influence uh, from the Jesuits. Um, just a few things that stick out to me was sports. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty competitive person. It's helped me in life. I try and be competitive, but not at the expense of others or bringing others down, but trying to get better every day. And uh, sports was a big part of it. You know, I played football and basketball first year and then went on to do basketball all four years. I wish I could have played both four years, but uh, Coach Drucker kind of made it pretty clear to me that uh, it was one or the other. And I was better at basketball, I thought. But but it was it was great. Love the competitiveness. Um, curiosity is something that comes up. I just love taking classes with the uh, Jesuits and the uh, Jesuit scholastics that were always just pushing you and kind of, you know, just always questioning. And I think it's something to this day. I'm always curious as to how things work or why things went a certain way or how people think. So, so those were some of the things, but the biggest, the biggest takeaways for me, Joe, were, and I, to this day, it, it's, you know, for then, then it was men and women for others, you know, uh, we talked about more at, at that time and the compassion that the Jesuits have. And I just feel best when I'm giving to others. And, you know, I have specific things I like to give to. And so the two biggest takeaways were the, the, the men and women for others and the continuous learning, uh, continuous improvement. I'm kind of a fanatic for that. I want to be better than I was yesterday and tomorrow be better than I am today in whatever I do. It's just something that the Jesuits really kept with me. I think some of that foundation um, came from your parents as well. I know just talking with you in the past that your your mother in particular was a was a force. Um, it still is a force of um, influence on you and your brothers and really insisted on are you getting a, a quality education? Um, but they're also, it's, they're, they're part of the great American story. I'd, I'd love to, you know, have you speak to their journey a bit and, uh, your mother's influence on you. Sure. Um, well, uh, my mom was a huge influence, uh, and thankfully she's still uh, with us today and, and thriving at 93 years old. My dad passed at 94, uh, years old and, my dad was a practicing doctor in Nicaragua, and he came to the San Francisco basically to follow my mom, and he had to start over. He had to start over with the language. He didn't speak the language. He you know, went from being a practicing doctor to having to pass the medical exams in a foreign language, 
And uh, he had an office in the Mission District, and, and we didn't grow up in the Mission. We were in the avenues and then out in in uh, the Balboa Terrace area right next to St. Francis Wood. But he opened his office in 1968 at 47 years old. So he really didn't start making money till late in life. So it was kind of weird to have a doctor as a father, but didn't have the, the, the you know income that went with that because he was constantly doing that. But he opened his doors, 13 patients in the mission, and he literally never looked back. He probably averaged 40 to 42 patients a day and was, was always given one of the busiest doctors in the city. There was an award for that. Hey, Bert, I'm, I want to interrupt you for a sec. You got a great story about that with your dad. Didn't you hop into an Uber a few years back? Oh, yeah. T- yeah tell yeah. that story. Yeah, I was, I was giving a speech in San Francisco, and I needed to catch a flight. And um, my wife and I think it was my daughter were with me on that trip. And I said, hey, we, we got to go. I got to catch another flight, but, but let's do it. And when I got out to the car, my name was on the, the town car. And uh, I got in, and the guy was really nice. And we were just you know sharing uh, you know, pleasantries and he basically said, that's an interesting name, Selva. He says, because Silva is Portuguese. I told him Selva is Spanish. And he said, um, you know, years ago, he goes, there was a Dr. Selva in the Mission District. Do you happen to know him or are you related at all? And I said, it's my dad. And he gave me the example. He basically said, well, myself and my mom and my three aunts. So five of them would drive up from Half Moon Bay to San Francisco to see my dad. And my dad didn't take appointments. It was first come, first serve. And bottom line is they'd come. And uh, it was interesting because he said he was such a compassionate man and we never knew what happened. And my dad worked till he was 81, then he retired. And um, he said to me, he said, your dad would take, would see all five of us and he'd only take one Medicare coupon or whatever. Coupon <laughs> oh, geez, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, there was a side of me that said, that's awesome. How compassionate my dad was. There was a side of me that's in business today that said, no wonder we didn't have that much. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he was, he was like the, the known as the doctor of the mission district or something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, so my mom was really the big with the Jesuit influence. Uh, when she was young, she had visiting missionaries come to Nicaragua, uh, and she would tell me how smart they were. They were incredibly intelligent, and they were just different from the other priests. And she said that they did these annual retreats, and I'm sure what they probably did is the the daily examine is probably what they were, we were doing but uh, which is obviously the Jesuit prayer technique. And uh, and she, my mom has got really, really big faith. And so when she came to the U.S. and had kids and, you know, I'm one of five boys in our family, she was really committed to two things. One with the kids. One one was that we were going to be bilingual. So I didn't learn English till, you know, probably four or five years old. You know, we at home, we just spoke Spanish. And to this day, I still speak Spanish with her whenever I talk to her, which I try to call her at least about five, six times a week. And then um, the Jesuits, she wanted us to be educated by the Jesuits. She said, I just, that's something that I made a goal in my life. And 
And quite frankly, Joe, I'm very grateful for both. And as you know, you know, I set up a scholarship and one of my brothers jumped in and uh, my brother Jorge jumped in and, and we uh, sponsored a scholarship for a Latina girl uh, w- woman from the Mission District where my dad, you know, and mom ran their office. And uh, my folks worked together for 42 years wow. uh, every day running my, my dad's medical practice. And to be frank, I, my wife and I have got a tremendous relationship, but working together 42 years <laughs> would, would be challenging, would be tough. On both ends. <laughs> yeah. And Joe, if I could just backtrack for one second, just if I could do a, a plug for this, doing that scholarship while my mom is with us, was huge. Uh, it was huge because I know friends that have done it after their parents have passed. And my mom it was just shocked by it, was touched by it. She just felt that. And I go, you know, mom, some woman in the mission district, young woman's going to get an SI education and it's going to be in your name. And uh, so I would just encourage people to do it while your parents are alive if you can. But what that would you know great way of recognizing your mom's uh, gift to you guys of an education and that um, you know legacy will live on in her name for generations to come. Hey, you're um, you know being president and and CEO of the largest uh, private home builder in the country is is no small matter, and I, I wonder if you could speak to um, getting your path to uh, Shea Homes, you know, just for, especially for younger listeners you know, kind of wondering what they might do with their career and, and how things land. How did that, you know, how did you get there? Um, and then love to ask you about leadership, but first just that, that path to Shea Holmes. I graduated out of uh, SI. I really wanted to go to USC. Uh, I, I had seen a, some really great things when I had, uh, was in high school, but with my brother was down in LA, my oldest brother, but we couldn't afford it. And my parents basically paid for high school. And then I was on my own after that. Uh, we did, uh, I went to San Diego state for two years and then worked and, uh, kind of transferred to USC, paid my way through. And I'm really glad I did because of the network at USC is great. And it's just, it was a, a goal I wanted to achieve. And I did when I came out of uh, USC I uh, had interviewed for a job with uh, Crocker National Bank. If you recall, out of San Francisco, they still have Crocker Galleria down on, uh, I think it's Post and like near Montgomery, I want to say. And uh, and uh, no, Post and, and they had another office on New Montgomery. But bottom line is uh, I was I had interviewed like nine times, got this job in sports lending and I thought, what a cool job. It'll tie my sports together, you know, background with that. But the reality of it is uh, three weeks before they called and said, hey, sorry, things have changed. We were acquired by a bank out of London that bought 57 percent of Crocker Bank. And therefore, um, that job no longer exists. Best of luck to you. And I said, well, thank you for the call, because I, I, at that time, as Western Union I had three, three uh, uh, messages from them. I called them when they called me back. I answered the phone. That's when they told me that. And I said, well, that's great that you guys are safe, you know, good luck. But the reality of it is I passed on a lot of other jobs and I don't think it's right. And I realize that things change, but I don't think I'm just going to go down the road. 
And the person on the phone said, well, we're really sorry. And I didn't take no for an answer. I kind of went up the, the ladder, eventually got to the CEO of the bank's assistant and just said, listen, I'm not asking for anything more than somebody to give me an opportunity, given that this went away. And, you know, by the kindness of the person's heart, they basically said, well, why don't you fly up here? Here's some tickets. We flew up and I met with the head of HR and they said, well, what can you do? And I said, I'm bilingual. I got a degree in finance and business at USC. And they went down a whole laundry list of jobs. And I go, this one looks kind of cool in international banking. And uh, they said, because we've got issues with uh, loans in Central America and, and, and uh, South America that you might be able to help with. And okay, you know, first job. And about uh, two months into the job, they said, uh, this company is now taking over more of the bank. And we need to shut down our offices in Hong Kong, Seoul, Korea, and Tokyo. Do you want to go? And uh, my first thought is, well, Spanish isn't going to help me much. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm in. So I did that. I did it for about a year. We got that wrapped up. I worked overseas. I saw countries I would have never seen before. And, you know, the lesson learned was, you know, if something's not right, stick with it. And, you know, don't make a fuss about it, but be persistent. And it ended up being great. And then I uh, decided to go back and uh, get my MBA. And um, since I was paying my own way and I had uh, Cindy was pregnant with our oldest child, I couldn't go anywhere other than somewhere local. So I ended up going to UCLA and uh, that was pretty tough because Cindy was working. Uh, My son was born two weeks before the program started and I was driving what some mornings uh, I'd get up at four fifty. I was on the road at four fifteen in the morning, about an hour and fifteen minute drive to Westwood from Orange County, and on some Fridays coming home it was three hours. But it would average about an hour and a half to two hour drive each way every day, and it was it was crazy. But so my MBA experience was not like most, but it was it was good nonetheless. And um, that got me my second year. I did a thesis um, on a company in in Orange County. And so I could do it on Fridays. Uh, Every Friday I'd go to this company. It was called Rancho Mission Viejo. And they're a big developer in in Orange County, the second largest landholder. And I really fell in love with real estate. And uh, so when I came out of school uh, and graduated, I literally went to work for a home builder in Orange County, did that for five years, great experience. And then the downturn came of the uh, early, you know, 1990s, late 80s. And it was time to, you know, move on and do something different because we we sat in a boardroom and the, the, the chairman of the company said, Bert, what do you think we should do? And it was fairly clear that, you know, big public builders and big private builders like ourselves were coming in with, with a lot more capital to try and go and raise money, buy land, take nine months to do that, then build homes. This wasn't a, the, the business model became obsolete. So we wound the company down from 69 people and down to three people. And uh, I was one of the final three. And um, one of the things I love that sticks with me today is that the chairman said, here's the checkbook. Make sure that every employee has at least two months to find a job. Make sure every trade is paid off. Make sure you put a warranty in place for at least a year. And he said, and save what you can, but 
do do it the right way. And I remember telling him, saying, wow, that's incredibly generous and you don't have to do that. And and he told me something that stuck with me forever about integrity. He said, money will buy you a good bed, but it won't buy you a good night's sleep. And it's funny because to this day, I remember that. And in decisions that sometimes some decisions are more costly, but they're the right decisions and you just got to make them. And that, and that speaks to the, that, that speaks to the importance of having a, a good role model, right? That sticks with you. A hundred percent. Probably a disappointing thing to have to endure, but still did it the right way. Absolutely. And you know what? Those folks went on and found other things and, and did well. But Joe, what happened is I got recruited uh, by a big national builder to open an office in Mexico. And I looked into it in Mexico City and they were selling it as a positive that, hey, you'd have you know, full-time security that could take you to work and back and drive you uh, to work and there'd be security at your house. I was like, that, that, that's more of a negative than a positive, <laughs> right? And, uh, and I didn't end up doing that, but they kept, they were persistent and kept recruiting me and said, hey, we've got a D- Denver division that we want to open. Do you want to be part of that? So I did. I went out and uh, started this public builders division in Denver did that for three years and it was a great run. Um, but I really loved being in it with a private company because you're not so driven by wall street. You know, mm-hmm. we have investors, we have bondholders, but our stock doesn't move up. We don't have public stock, so it doesn't move up and down every day. And I think this is a tough business to be public and there's a lot of good public builders. Don't get me wrong. But when you got communities that take anywhere from, three months to, we have a community in Huntington Beach, it took us 20 years to get entitled. It's kind of hard to manage quarter to quarter with Wall Street. And uh, so I, I, I took a phone call from Shea Holmes and um, and they wanted me to start up a division of uh, Shea like I did with others in KB, uh, KB Home where I was before. And it was uh, it was great. I did that for six and a half years. And then uh, 2002, uh, my, uh, my predecessor, my, my boss, who was CEO of Shea Homes, he uh, called me on a Monday night. I was coaching basketball. My kids were 730, and he called me twice. That's kind of weird. I picked it up, and, uh, and he told me, hey, I'm retiring. And the Shea family um, has said that they'd like to interview you as one of the candidates. And he said, I think you should do it. I did. And, uh, I literally, that was on my fourth, four, two days after my, no week after my 40th birthday. And, uh, you know, a month later I'm, I'm living between California and Colorado and I took the role and then moved the family back to, uh, to California where we are today in 2002. And it's an impressive, um, you know, story in, in, in two respects, you know, one you've, paid attention to something along the way where you've made those changes, right? Changing locations and, and, and jobs and probably something um, was telling you that it's time to move or try to do something different. And then also uh, really building the biggest home builder in the country. Um, I mean, that's, that's remarkable. Probably didn't see, you know, see that at the beginning, but uh, looking back on it, um, you know, that's really something. And you're a guy that uh, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, will call for indications on the real estate market now. Um, I, if you could speak to that and then also kind of, uh, you know, weave into um, really some keys to leadership that you've learned over the years. 
Sure, Joe. Uh, and a couple things, you know, yeah, you're right. I meet with the Fed chair uh, every November, but it's a group of us. It's probably nine, 10 builders that, that go in and just it's 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 just kind of saying, hey, here's where the world is, because kind of the economy goes as housing goes. We're the tip of the spear, right? We're the biggest purchase anybody makes in their life, typically. And that people stop buying houses or considering other things or if they don't have jobs or rates are too high, things get tougher and ripples through the economy, right? It's a huge factor. Yes. And uh, so it's something we we look at, but, but, you know, and, and as far as Shay, we we had a great team in place before and I was just able to, to ride the wave with some great people. But when I think about keys to leadership, I think a huge, huge part of it for me, especially doing startups and running a company of, you know, we're two and a half billion dollars today with a couple thousand employees all in. It's it's about the people. And so I always feel like spending the time hiring great people is huge. And one of the things that I remember reading a study on is they said 95 percent of people get hired based on their experience, which is essentially their resume. Right. They get mm-hmm. hired based on that but yet 95% of the people that get fired are because of their behavior. And so why are we spending so much time on the experience if it's really the behavior that you want? So I kind of created some behavior-based questions for every job we did because the competitiveness of sports and at SI and everything, basically the teams with the best players usually win, right? Not always, but usually they do. And if they work hard and execute right and do what they need to do, they do win. So that, that was a big deal for me. I think getting the right people, I think setting the direction and strategy and kind of establishing what I call the guardrails or the kind of the rules of engagement. Like, you know, we have core values of you know, honesty and integrity, respect for every single individual. Everybody has their role. Competitive spirit and, and teamwork are kind of our four core values. And I, I call them guardrails because if you kind of violate those, you know, you don't, you, you may get a chance, but you don't get two chances. It's just, mm-hmm. those are core to us and that builds the culture. And it's, you know, I think you build a culture one person at a time. And that all ties in, right? To having the right people in, in place, yes. you have the confidence in them to just let them do their job. It, you know, it's not just having the right people, but also how they, how they work together, that, that, that that teamwork lesson, right? You could have five great players on a basketball court, but if they're not in sync with one another, um, you know, things will fall apart. Totally. And two other things I'd say that I think are really critical. One is simplifying the business. I see businesses today and maybe it's my consulting days. They get so complex and they're creating their own complexity. And uh, I just think to simplify the business so you could scale it, whether it's in your products, your processes, your people, you look at what Apple's been able to do. It's not like they've got 5,000 SKUs, right? They, they've got certain things you could buy, and that's what you buy. You go to places like In-N-Out Burger, their menu's pretty pretty simple. High quality, put the time into the quality, the experience, but you don't have to make it so complex. I think too many decisions kind of confuse a buyer and, and make it even tougher. And then I think the other issue, Joe, is kind of the Jesuit thing is continuously improve you know, continually resetting goals and achieving them and uh, learn from the lessons. I mean, I'm, I feel like our company is a way better company today because of the great financial crisis of 
2007, 2008. You know, we learned a lot from that and there was a lot to learn. So I think if I had to wrap it, I would say kind of kind of be a leader you'd want to work for, you know, lead by example, give back to the community, let, let people know that, you know, that the profits we make do go back. And as you know, we've done a lot with inner city Catholic schools. It's our chairman's kind of main, uh, you know, foundation is for education. And he's really taught me to kind of have a laser focus on a couple, two to three, uh, you know, charities that you go deep on and not do everything for everyone because everybody asks, but, but I'd rather be a lot deeper than just give a little bit to, to everyone. And that's kind of how we are as a company too. In addition to being the president and CEO of Shea Homes, Bert was recognized as the CEO of the year by Builder and Big Builder magazines. He also received the Hearthstone Humanitarian Lifetime Achievement Award and is the chairman of the board of the Homemade America. Thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions for future interviews, please send them our way. And if you like what you hear, please like and recommend this podcast. The SI Genesis Podcast is a production of St. Ignatius College Preparatory in San Francisco, California. To learn more about the school and Jesuit education, visit www.siprep.org. Thank you.